This is Ian Hartley. And I'm Warren Kay. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see Him more clearly, love Him more dearly, and follow Him more nearly. find the PDF document that we're following today on our website, rediscoveringgod.ca, where the recordings, the PDFs, the podcasts are all listed there. And you can share that website with your friends and they can follow along. We'd also really love to invite you to the Monday night Zoom discussion, where we all gather in fellowship with each other, all us listeners of the podcast where we can come with our questions, comments, thoughts, um, resources. It's a wonderful time of encouragement where um, we get to affirm each other and encourage each other. Um, so that's a Monday nights at 7.30 Mountain Time. You can just type in 403-506-9201. And we'd love to have you there. our three-part series on sacrifices in Israel and look carefully at the biblical evidence for God's um, attitude towards sacrifice of animals and uh, so I hope you appreciate uh, what we discovered in this podcast. sacrifices included special treatment of the animal's blood. Various biblical passages identify with the life force of the ankle of the animal as being in the blood. And yet, despite the importance of this ritual use of blood, there's only one passage in the entire Hebrew Bible which appears to explain its significance, and that's Leviticus 17. This is an important passage and I'd like us to read Leviticus 17, 10 to 16. And if any native Israelite or foreigner living among you eats or drinks blood in any form, I will turn against that person and cut him off from the community of your people. For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. For that is why I have said to the people of Israel, you must never eat or drink blood, neither you nor the foreigners living among you. And if any native Israelite or foreigner living among you goes hunting and kills an animal or bird that is approved for eating, he must drain its blood and cover it with the earth. The life of every creature is in its blood. That is why I have said to the people of Israel, 
You must never eat or drink blood, for the life of any creature is in its blood. So whoever consumes blood will be cut off from the community. And if any native-born Israelites or foreigners eat the meat of an animal that died naturally or was torn up by wild animals, they must wash their clothes and bathe themselves in water. They will remain ceremonially unclean until evening, but then they will be clean. But if they do not wash their clothes and bathe themselves, they will be punished for their sin. Thank you. Cut off is a euphemism for execution. So, just by the way. Um, so, when we talk about blood, we're actually talking about life. So, the blood of Jesus is the life of Jesus given in death. And the blood of an animal is the life of the animal given in death. We're, we, we are confronted with Hebrews 10, verse 8 to 10. Warren, if you could read that, please. Uh, because this passage, Hebrews 10, verse 8 to 10, indicates that all the above sacrifices that we've dealt with in some detail were inadequate to deal with the sin problem. Uh, Warren, if you could read that, please. First, Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them. Then he looked, then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Thank you. So it's pretty uh, categorical, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Jesus is being quoted and actually quoting from Psalms 40. When Jesus speaks, he's quoting. So this is a quote of a quote. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. He knows the Bible. Uh, yeah. So just a little bit more history. Uh, it's unlikely that Joseph offered sacrifices in Egypt. Uh, yet he has a meaningful relationship with God. Let's point that out, by the way. Uh, the Israelites had not sacrificed while they were slaves in Egypt. Moses gives Pharaoh the reason for the Israelites to go to the wilderness as the need to worship with sacrifices. Um, Exodus 5, verse 1 to 3. Uh, Sasha, if you can read that, please. Exodus 5. One, two, three. Mm -hmm. After this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so, retorted Pharaoh? And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with the sword. 
Thank you. So uh, it's categorical, isn't it? We need to go to the wilderness to offer animal sacrifices to our God. Otherwise, he's going to kill us. So Pharaoh understands this reasoning. If you'll read 8 verse 8, Sasha, since you have your Bible open in Exodus. Mm -hmm. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged, plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. Yeah, so Pharaoh got it. Uh, you know, the first half of Leviticus is concerned with impurity, and we would hardly call these sins today, but significant blood is required to deal with these problems. The second half of Leviticus details many sins that require the death penalty. It is unlikely that the perpetrators would have come to the sanctuary to confess their sins so they could be executed. It's just interesting to me that uh, this was the actual situation. When the Israelites got into the promised land, they parked the sanctuary tent in Shiloh. Uh, and it stayed there for 300 years, and it got pretty dilapidated. Uh, it doesn't seem to have played the prominent role the temple would later play in dealing with sin by animal sacrifices. And then you perhaps remember that the ark was taken uh, off by the Israelites when they were fighting with the uh, Philistines, and it never went back to Shiloh. Um, and David brought it to Jerusalem after he had built another tent because he wanted the Israelites to recognize that Jerusalem was the center uh, of Israel, uh, the capital of Israel, and not Shiloh. Now, King David um, says this in Psalm 51, verse 17. You do not desire sacrifice, or I would offer one. Now, he's saying this after Nathan has pointed out his sin with Bathsheba. David says, you do not desire sacrifice, so I would offer one. You do not want burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. Uh, you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. So, but we've already talked about this, is that he can say that, in one breath, but in the next breath, when he's moving the, um, the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed-Edom, he's sacrificing a bull and a fatted calf every six paces. So it, it's difficult to put those two together for me. Uh, there was something in David's makeup that could allow him to say this and yet at the same time, offer all those animals, maybe here he's not under the threat that uh, some of his men might be killed, like Uzzah was. During the Babylonian exile, there was no temple where the sacrificial rituals could be continued. So you may well ask, how, how did the people get forgiveness during the 70 years when they were captives in Babylon? How did they get forgiveness uh, while they were slaves in Egypt? Um, there's more to this uh, business of forgiveness uh, 
than just killing animals. We have no record of Jesus offering sacrifices or sending anyone to offer a sacrifice at the temple. He did send people to the temple that he had healed to get a certificate of cleanliness. We know about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I think that's very interesting that Jesus did not use the uh, temple sacrificial services to uh, help communicate to people that they were forgiven. He just straight up told them they were forgiven. And he didn't buy into that whole system at all. Yeah. Um, thank you, Warren. We have no record of the disciples offering sacrifices. And uh, sacrifices are not offered by the Jews today. And this is an anomaly since they don't believe Messiah has come. They should still be offering sacrifices for forgiveness, but they don't. Mm -hmm. The Muslims sacrifice when they go on their annual pilgrimage to Mecca called the Hajj. And uh, what they do with the meat is they ship it out to poor Muslims all over the world. Because they kill about a million animals at Mecca. It's big business. Wow. So in a sense, you know, I'm just, I'm realizing that Jesus didn't offer sacrifices. The disciples didn't offer sacrifices. And Jesus established the, what we call the Lord's, the last supper, where he drank the blood that represented his blood. Um, it seems he was saying, I'm the sacrifice. And as we talked about in Hebrews, he was not only the high priest, but he was the sacrifice. Yeah. Um, you can't stop there. Please keep going. Well, I, we, we, we're going to still unpack that whole idea of how Jesus was the sacrifice. I think that's still coming up. We'll, we'll wait till then. Okay. So now we need to address the question. Does God want, did God ever want animal sacrifices? And we need to look at the scriptural evidence for that. Um, you know, there are voices in the Bible which indicate that God did not want blood sacrifices. Um, but you, you can take them in two different ways. You can say it was the abuse of sacrifices that God was uh, against, uh, not the actual sacrifices themselves. So in the passages we read, we're keeping this in the back of our mind uh, because the later prophets, uh, they seem to indicate uh, that God never actually wanted animal sacrifices. So, here is the evidence that some of the prophets, especially the later prophets, understood that God did not want blood sacrifices of any kind. So we need to read these. Um, Warren, if you can read 1 Samuel 15, 22. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Okay, so 
it seems to me what Samuel is saying here is that it's better to be obedient than to make sacrifices. I don't see this passage as saying that you shouldn't offer sacrifices. What do you guys think? Well, I, I think um, what he's saying is if the more obedient you are, the less sacrifices you'll need to offer because you're not messing up as often. Hmm. Okay. It's good. It's mercenary, but moral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just seeing the hierarchy here of of what he's really yeah. So Psalms 40 verse 6. Uh, Sasha, if you can read that, please. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Thank you. It's a clear statement that God did not desire sacrifices and offerings. Sacrifices and offerings are used as a synonym here, um, those two words, and in many other passages. And as we mentioned before, this passage is quoted in, uh, by Jesus, and Jesus is quoted in Hebrews 10, 8 to 10. So, yeah. Psalm 50, verse 9 to 13, Warren. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? So it's a pretty dog dogmatic statement about God's relationship with sacrifices. He does not need them. Well, and just even going back to the Psalm uh, 41 or 40, where he's saying, now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. And I, I think that's an interesting one because how many times do we just go with what we're always thinking is what we're supposed to do and the way it's been done and all the things. And now it's almost like he's been having this really intense experience all the way through his, his time with, with God. And he's going, Oh man, I'm finally getting it. Like I'm finally understanding what you're trying to say. And I mean, even with, with myself, with this, you know, idea of a nonviolent God, I keep saying the same thing. It's like, Oh man, I'm just finally starting to get it. But it's like, I, I didn't know before, you know, and, and I just feel like that is something that he's experiencing. Yeah. Thank you. Let's come to Isaiah. Isaiah 1 verse 11 to 13. Um, I'm going to read it. The multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me? says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. 
new moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. So I, I can't, in all honesty, use this uh, passage out of Isaiah 1 to say that God doesn't want sacrifices. I think what he's saying here is he's objecting to the hypocrisy of the worshippers. Because I, I don't throw out uh, any convocations uh, of the church, uh, say camp meeting's good, I don't throw out um, communion uh, just because there's hypocrisy. So I can't see that this passage can actually be used to say that God doesn't want sacrifices. I think this passage is God objecting to hypocrisy. I'm happy to be corrected by one of you. I will concede to your wisdom, sir. <laughs> well, and the word offering stood out to me there, your meaningless offerings. And it, it just made me think of uh, insincere worship and that he, it, it's an insult to him to come with a pretense of, oh, look at what, you know, we're doing here. And he's just, <clears throat> in my mind, just going, look, I, I don't have any time for that. Yeah. Um, Sasha, can you read Jeremiah 6.20, please? There's no use offering me sweet frankincense from Sheba. Keep your fragrant calamus imported from distant lands. I will not accept your burnt offerings. Your sacrifices have no pleasing aroma for me. And just carry on the next chapter, 7, verse 21 to 26. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Take your burnt offerings and your other sacrifices and eat them yourselves, exclamation point. When I led your ancestors out of Egypt, it was not burnt offerings and sacrifices I wanted from them. This is what I told them. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Do everything as I say and all will be well. But my people would not listen to me. They kept doing whatever they wanted and followed the stubborn desires of their evil hearts. They went backward instead of forward. From the day your ancestors left Egypt until now, I have continued to send my servants, the prophets, day in and day out. But my people have not listened to me or even tried to hear. They have been stubborn and sinful, even worse than their ancestors. Thank you. So uh, this is pretty straightforward. Um, have a look at uh, verse 21. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Go ahead, add your burnt offerings and your other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. Like, uh, what do you want to call that? A bit of irony, sarcasm. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you say you're bringing them to me, but actually you just want to eat the meat yourselves. So go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. um, when I brought your ancestors out, I wanted them to obey me. Apparently, God is not about the blood and flesh of clean animals. He's about life-giving practices. Jesus will state, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I'm come to give you life, abundant life. That's John 10.10. 10. 
A blood sacrifice steals the animal's life away by killing and destroying it. From the words of Jesus, it would be impossible for God to ask for a death practice. Yeah, that you know, it's interesting in verse 22 there, it says, you know, when he when I brought your answers out of Egypt, uh, I didn't want, I didn't command them to, to do all these burnt offerings and sacrifices. And, and I think, as you pointed out at the beginning of Leviticus, it was when you bring your sacrifices, do it in this way. He wasn't telling them that they should bring sacrifices. And I think we misunderstood that. Mm -hmm. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 to 8, uh, the brokenhearted prophet. Um, he, uh, Hosea 6, 6 to 8. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. As, like Adam, they have broken the covenant, they were unfaithful to me there. Gilead is a city of evildoers stained with the footprints of blood. Thank you. So God is objecting to all this blood. And Hosea gets it. Amos, Sasha, if you'll read Amos 5, 21 to 25. Uh, yes, I will. And I just wanted to say in the NIV that I have here, it says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. And I'm just going, oh, that sounds so in line with uh, a loving God. Um, okay. Yes. Sorry. Amos 5? 21 to 25. Okay. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? And he says, no, you served your God, your pagan gods. <clears throat> yeah, Amos gets it. Uh, this, and this is what's so interesting about Amos uh, is that he says the sacrifices offered in the wilderness was to their pagan gods. Wow, that that is a quite a revelation. Well, it helps to explain why. The golden calf incident happened so easily. Mm -hmm. Right. So apparently it, it wasn't all um, peaceful and worshipful around the sanctuary. Some of the Israelites never showed up there because they had their gods in their tents. And they were worshipping there. Mm. Offering sacrifices there. Micah 6, verse 1 to 4 and 6 to 8. Warren, if you can read that, please. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and the hills be called to witness your complaints. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. Here is a case. He has a case against his people. He will bring charges against Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. For I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. 
I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. What can we bring to the Lord? Shall we bring him burnt offerings? Shall we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Shall we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Yes. Micah understands what God is, that God is not wanting animal blood and animal flesh, but justice, mercy, and humility. And Jesus quotes um, Hosea in Matthew 9, 13. Yeah, Jesus says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifice. Okay, we're in the New Testament now. John 1, 29 to 36. Um, Sasha, if you can read it, please. John 1, 29 to 36. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Thank you. So John introduces Jesus as the Lamb of God. So, uh, And we, I think, all agree that Jesus was sacrificed. Now, you, I remind you that uh, a sacrifice means you want to change somebody's mind. So God provides his lamb, not to change his own mind, but to change our minds. This is crucial to understand what John is saying here. This is the lamb of God given to us to change our minds. Yeah, that, that's an amazing shift because we tend to see that as God providing a sacrifice so that he can forgive us, so that we, his mind will be changed and, and be able to forgive us. But we've, we've just imposed what we think he's saying on top of that. He's not really saying that at all. Are you tracking, Sasha? Yeah, I'm still, I think, I, I'm caught up in the last verse, I think, a little bit that I just read in Matthew where he was talking about the sacrifice. He didn't want the sacrifice because he was interested in not coming for the people who thought they were righteous, but the people who were sinners. And so the people who thought they weren't worthy or the people that thought they were out of the game, I, I'm just relating it to myself here in reference to this idea of why Jesus then was the lamb uh, being given as an opportunity to change our minds about God. And so I think that then can only happen if we actually 
see what he's there for. If we think that we are righteous and that we don't need that, that we don't need our minds changed or anything like that, then it's, it's, it's why that entire meaning passes by us. And then as soon as we come and we are sort of seeing our place and seeing who we are in God's eyes, then this is why this impact really lands with me now. Good. So what you're talking about, Paul calls stumbling over the cornerstone, mm. is that when you don't understand your own need of changing your whole outlook towards God, mm -hmm. you stumble over the very one who could change your mind. Right. See, this thing of sin is primarily in our minds. You know, um, I don't know how else to say that, but it, it's the human mind or heart that needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The problem is not with God. When Adam and Eve sin, they are the ones who hide from God. Right. So the Lamb of God is meant to change our minds by his teaching by his living, and then when we insisted on executing him, by the way he died, and then his resurrection. All this is meant to change the way we think about God. Yeah. So when, when we think of God sending Jesus to serve us and to love us, then we need to understand the, the spilled blood. The spilt blood of Jesus is what God experiences in Christ as God communicates his forgiveness to us. Yes. He has already forgiven us, and he sends Jesus to communicate that to us, and we spill his blood. It's a result right. of that experience, not a cause of that experience. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we, we're not forgiven because Jesus died. We, when Jesus died, we understood God's forgiveness for the, really for the very first time in sort of a corporate way. Right. Yeah. And that we no longer need to offer sacrifices to change God's condemnation of us into acceptance. Yeah, just that simple phrase that he is the Lamb of God packs a lot in it when you understand it this way. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. So in John 17, 19, Jesus says, I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Sacrifice and burnt offerings you did not desire. So you gave me a body, and his body was necessary so he could communicate with us. He became one of us so he could speak our language and communicate what had always been in God's heart. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea of anger is very pivotal in there because it's what the it's what the old testament people believed that god 
was angry with them and that they had to atone. They had to seek um, reparation and to, to get him to forgive them and all of this. And yet by him coming and giving himself, it's, and with what Jesus was trying to get across, he was really trying to show that I and my father are one and he's not angry with you. And this idea of sacrifice, that it was him laying his life down, allowing himself to be killed. Um, wow. Yeah. It's big. Yeah. So uh, we need to pull this together um, and just say a few things that we've already said. Some feel that the voices which are decrying sacrifices are objecting to the abuse of the sacrifices at the expense of moral development. Um, there is some possibility to that, but we very clearly found passages which decry the use of sincere animal sacrifices, if I can put it that way. Mm -hmm. God had a better way in mind, and it did not include cruelty and death to his beautiful creation. Mm -mm. It's important to remember that Jesus never sent anyone to offer burnt offerings at the temple. He did send them to get a certificate of healing. The rules given for sacrifices in Leviticus are imposed on God, like the rules given for eating meat, how to go about divorce, how to keep slaves, how to have a king, how to go to war. God gave regulations on these practices to minimize the harm they brought, but this does not mean he wanted any of these practices. Are, yeah. are we clear on that? That's really significant to, to see that this is uh, an imposition upon God, not that he was wanting it, uh, but he has accommodated where we are at and worked within the framework that we could understand, but it was far from what he really wanted. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is really pivotal and, and liberating to me because it, it finally sat uh, with that idea of a, a nonviolent God. I am, and I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. So the last point, humans made sacrifices hoping they would change God's mind. So using that understanding, God made his sacrifice by becoming a human being forever so that he could change our minds. Yeah, beautiful. For every believer this holy sacrifice has accomplished its purpose. We now see God differently because of Jesus' incarnation. We are no longer angry with God because we now know that God was never angry with us. Mm. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, and this is, this is so fitting because we're at the Christmas season where we're thinking of Jesus coming and being born here. And, and now we understand more fully why he came to communicate God's love to us and that God has already forgiven us. And, and we, we, we crucified him. 
Yeah. Powerful. You know, our human story has not changed over the millennia. When Adam and Eve sinned, they blamed each other and God for what he had done. And when we talk about the solution to sin, usually we blame God uh, and say, well, he needed a human sacrifice, a divine sacrifice, so he could forgive us. It's just the same old rerun mm -hmm. of the original blame game. Yeah. So um, in this podcast, we've tried to take responsibility for ourselves and to say we are the problem and let's own up to it and deal with it and stop blaming God for our problems. Yeah. Let us pray together. Dear God, you are infinitely kinder and infinitely forgiving compared to us. We apologize for the way we have made you in our own image. We want to see you as you really are. Thank you for promising new hearts for old, new eyes for old, new ears for old. We want to see you as you really are. We believe that if we see you in your pristine beauty, it will change us forever. Our hope is in you. You are our savior. You do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Our words are actually hopelessly inadequate. But you've promised you read our hearts. And we are happy. We worship you. Amen. 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 journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. To enable you to share this with your friends, we developed a website at www.rediscoveringgod.ca where all the podcasts are posted and you can also download a PDF document that gives you the passages that we've been looking at in each podcast that you can review, follow along, or share also with your friends. In addition to the website, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com if you have questions or just would like to share with us. We would be glad to hear from you. Thank you so much.